Hello and welcome back to another episode of Preview Review, the movie trailer podcast hosted by me, Tyler, and... It's me, Ryan. It's-a me. And I'm upset. No, we already did Mario movie. We I can't know. Talk about it anymore. I'm not upset. Why are you them. upset, Ryan? Because the movie studios don't want to pay their writers and their actors. Boo. And they also think AI can do a better job. And... And what else? Mission Impossible isn't doing that well because Barbenheimer took yeah, all the well, screens. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's sad, but they're all good movies. That's true, but I... I, I we I, can blame the studios again. We can. Paramount, you should have put Mission Impossible in a different place when you saw that Nolan was going to take all the IMAX screens. We love movies, but we hate movie studios because right now they're being jerks. Well, not all of them. We like A24. Well, we hate all the big ones that are being meanies. Yeah. A Even Bob Iger stage. was like, they're asking for too much. I'm like, really, Bob? He said it on his yacht. Maybe you were asking for too much when you decided to come back and be CEO again because you didn't like the job the other guy was doing. Well, to be fair, he was not doing a good job either. Well, neither is this guy now. It's true. What the hell, man? Um, If you haven't been paying attention, the WGA, they've been on strike for like a really long time. Like two months? It's Maybe longer now? mostly back in headlines now because SAG-AFTRA, which is the actors' union... WGA was the writers' union, uh, has joined in a solidarity strike. Uh, They're also striking as well for a reformed contract uh, because a lot has changed uh, in the film industry and the landscape of television and movies in the last, I mean, five, ten years. But the last time both the SAG and WGA were on strike together was like... 1960. The 60s, yeah. Um, and a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot has changed since then. And so with new things about like streaming revenue and the ways that... Studios are now making money off of these episodes of television and these movies. Um, those aren't being that's not being reflected and passed into contracts for writers, contracts for actors, and uh, shit like that needs to change. When there's important changes to the landscape of an industry, um, people's labor should be compensated fairly. Uh, the writers and the actors are the ones that actually work to create so much of the content that we get to enjoy, and so our money that goes to paying for Streaming subscriptions, tickets to movies, uh, all the things like that. Um, it should go to the people that help make those things happen. And not just the studios that said, like, uh, we will help put these things out here or whatever. So, um, you know, Ryan and I, we're, we stand in solidarity with WJ and SAG-AFTRA as they strike for uh, these reforms to their contract. And for that reason, we feel a little bit uncomfy talking about um, upcoming movies. Uh I know that's like kind of the whole shtick and premise of this podcast. And in the near future, we may get back to that. But for now, it feels a little weird because so many of these strikes are asking writers, actors, people to not promote their movies that are coming out because that that goes against that puts money in studios pockets and they're they're striking against the studios right now, uh, even though there's not been any like formal boycotts, I don't think announced yet. Um, you know, it just feels a little weird. And we know that we don't make a ton of money or we any don't, money. This yeah, is any not, money we lose this money on this podcast. And we don't like, you know, we know that there's not a billion listeners out there, but it's still like, we find ourselves in a weird spot. Ethically right meh. But SAG has put out a like guidelines for influencers, which we're not influencers, I don't think, right. but we're podcasters, I guess. And basically they've said, don't promote struck work. So, we're not going to promote struck work on this episode. We're going to reevaluate. We're going to talk about the strike. We're going to talk about some movies we've recently seen because they do say 
reviewing movies is still a-okay. It's still totally fine to go watch a movie in the theater. It's totally fine to continue paying for your streaming services. We're just going to follow the rules that the unions want us to follow. And hopefully we'll be able to come to a conclusion. I think in the near future we will be talking about upcoming movies shortly soon because I don't see any studio coming to us and saying, hey, we're going to pay you money to talk about our trailer. And even if they did, we would say, get that out of here. We ain't taking your blood money. And anyway, if they did, they'd say, sorry, that's just a... Woody Woodpecker dollars, only valuable at Universal <laughs> Studios. I mean, there's something to be said for that, but... You want Woody Woodpecker dollars? I'll take it. You're going to scab for Woody Woodpecker no, dollars? No, I not scab. I'm just saying, in general. Things are expensive at theme parks. I'll take money for that. Like, a free voucher for a butterbeer? Mm, butterbeer's alright. I don't know. Oh, okay, but you take a Woody Woodpecker dollar that's applicable anywhere in the park. It's just a little bit more, you know. <laughs> it goes a little longer. It goes a little farther. You can, spit, you can maybe buy uh, candy at the candy store. I can go to the Panda Express down by Jurassic. Oh, no, it's excluded. Panda Express is excluded. Oh, never mind. Then I don't Sorry. Want. Okay. You have to go to Jurassic World. Jurassic place. Eats or whatever. Yeah. If I can get the fucking uh, daiquiri with that, that shit was good. Oh, at the Isla New Bar? Yeah, we went to the bar. That was dope. It was like 9 a.m. right where the park opened, and I like started my day with like a double daiquiri that I had to finish in line for Jurassic World, and the line was short because, again, it was 9 a.m. That fucked me up just for the rest of the day. And then we drank another drink after the ride. That's true. That's Honestly, true. getting shwasted at Uni's Dudes. Great experience. It's a good time. Highly recommend. Um, back to striking. Um... <laughs> we stand in solidarity. <laughs> we stand in solidarity with WGA and SAG-AFTRA. If you're one of those losers that has seen Facebook comments and is like, oh, they, all these rich actors just want to make more money. Um, a, sure, and they should. And B, most members of SAG-AFTRA are not the like A-list celebrities that you see um, in everything. There are tons of members of SAG-AFTRA that are just guest characters supporting characters on television shows they make regular money just like you and i do i think the statistic was like 70 something percent of sag after members don't even make the like minimum yearly income to like get health insurance so this is a big deal and i think it's important that the a-list actors that you see out there striking are doing so but they're doing so not just for themselves but in solidarity with the entire union of actors that have done a variety of scale of work and it's not just all these like a-list superstars that are like trying to make a ton more money even though they also should be entitled to like better contracts better deals based on the way studios make revenue studios make revenue off the backs of writers and actors not the other way around and so these contract reformations are super important uh for the sake of these unions and also it's setting a precedent for other unions and other labor uh rights issues that may come up in a variety of issues there's like a rumored ups strike they're renegotiating their contracts right now um, and so it impacts other other organizations and industries as well. So um, yeah. just have to say that as well. Yeah. And I don't know. We consume media so differently, so much more differently now than the last time these contracts were up for negotiation. Right. Movies didn't go to streaming before. Like they made made for TV movies that they played on TV. And then actors in those movies got residuals payments every time that movie played on TV. Now you're hearing things like the creator of Squid Game signed a deal with Netflix and he doesn't see any residual payments for Squid Game, even though it's like the number one streaming show on Netflix. Mm. Or you see things where like, we made this movie that was initially going to go to theaters, but now we're throwing it on Hulu or we're throwing it on Max. So 
the deals that you might have had are not going to like come out. There's a whole big issue with this with uh, Black Widow when it went to streaming. Mm. Scarlett Johansson was promised so much of the theatrical bu- budget, and she said, oh, because you put it on streaming on the same day, uh, that affected the box office, so my payout was smaller. Things like that. It reminds me of uh, that one clip from... Uh, what's that show? The From Jury Duty, where James Marsden asks uh what's the main dude's name ronald ronald he asked ronald like did you buy or rent sonic oh yeah and he goes actually i just watched it on hulu and he goes that's a shame i would have made a dollar if you bought it on dvd yeah Yeah. so it's like oh so you know that's a funny joke at the time but now looking at it through this lens it goes oh shit like we can watch these movies over and over and over again as long as they're on these streaming services and the actors' paychecks don't really change or the yeah. writers' paychecks writers don't really change. Writers and actors don't get anything. But guess what? The studios are the ones that have contracts with these streamers. And studios Well, they see, own the streamers most of them. Studios see money from streamers and not the actors and the writers. So it's the system is broken and it should change. And uh, I hope that the WGA and the SAG-AFTRA unions are supported enough to strike however long they need to to renegotiate these fair contracts. Um, it's also kind of fucked up that the studios aren't coming back to the table after all this time, right? Like, the quote that was pulled that said, like, our main objective is now just to wait them out for them to start losing their, their houses, houses stuff, right? How fucked to, up is that? They have to come back to work. Yeah, it's, it's super fucked up. Um, and so, if you want to support the WGA and the sag after unions, um, do a quick Google search. There's a lot of funds out there. Uh, that you can support that help provide financial assistance to writers, actors, creators in need of funds during this time while they can't work while they're on strike. Um, that goes a long way. There's also a number of petitions out there right now to help support some of the infrastructural and logistical things that are happening that are needed for these unions to safely be on strike in front of these studios because being on strike doesn't mean they're just sitting at home not working. There are so many of these actors and writers that are out there day in, day out on picket lines in, in front the of the studios. hot, hot heat. It's super muggy in the Southern California summer right now. Well, there's so, supervisors I mean, all across the yeah, world. They're, they're actually doing the work out there, and they are doing labor organizing. And just because it's 2023 and we don't think of like us being in like, the Industrial Revolution anymore, um, labor... We're kind of in a new union organizing. Um, It's also super important to protect the rights of the workers um, because even though a lot of them love what they get to do as writers, as actors, um, it's still their labor, it's still their work, it's still their craft, and it should be protected. Um, And so, yeah, we wish them all the best in... uh, as they continue to strike and hope that they get to renegotiate a fair contract soon. Yeah. And we'll throw a link, uh, where you can donate in our bio and we'll tweet something out. Maybe we'll, we'll thread something out. Is that the term we're using for threads? I look, I created my threads account and I haven't even left it at once since then. So I think, uh, we created our threads account for preview review. We tweeted out a picture and I think it got like zero engagement. We threaded out a picture. Well, we'll, yeah, I don't know what to call it. We posted a picture. I don't know. I don't know. Um, We'll keep trying. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know about this one, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But before we move off of strike talk, um, let's just play a little quick fun game, uh, which is talking about some of the headlines or recent things that we've seen and say, is this solidarity or is this scabbing? Uh, Could also be like union busting if it's an action of a studio. But basically, are these actions being taken by groups or people that are supporting is this a helpful way is this a green flag to support the strike or is this a red flag meaning that they're either scabbing or um you know trying to union bust or or shut down elements of the strike um here's something i saw the other day there has conveniently recently been 
a lot of tree trimming outside of some major studios mm, on the sidewalks universal. where have where uh, you know writers and actors have been gathering to strike. Does this seem like a red flag or a green flag to you, Ryan? Well, they literally took away all the green flags that were on the tree. Mm. It has to be a you red mean flag. The oh, that's what those are called. Yeah. Has to be a red flag. The green flags are all gone. It's a major red flag. It's a major red flag, right? Plus, so right. because the sun burns their skin, because the green flags are gone, it makes their skin red flags. You're so right. It just all makes too much You're sense. You're so right. Well, yeah, that's a big no-no. Um, also, who trims the trees in the summertime? <laughs> like, that's, I guess, like... That's a winter activity. Yeah. Well, I don't know when... It, like, we trimmed our tree at my house recently, but, like, trimmed it, not, like, shaved it bald. <laughs> we trim it because the leaves get too long, and in the summer, like, ants crawl on the leaves and get, to, like, jump over to our house. Mm. So, like, we just trim the edges. Sounds like a convenient excuse that Universal Studios can use. Yeah, they said, you know it's what? The ants. the ants! We'd, but apparently... Uh, it's for all the pests, the and pe- also the ants. <laughs> apparently the tree lawyers got involved with this, Tyler. Did you hear about this? Oh, no, I didn't hear about this. The tree lawyers were like, hey, why'd you do this? And Universal Studios said, uh, we do this every year. We've done it for like the past three years. And they're like, okay, let's look into it. And they go, hmm, you don't have a permit to trim these trees. Also, these trees are not your property. They're property of the state or the city of Los Angeles. Wow. So they found out that was a lie. So that's the good news. Is that the good news is they were lying? No, is that they were exposed. Oh, they were exposed. Well, we, you know, we all knew from the but beginning. But the bad news... They were fined a total of two hundred and fifty dollars. Oh, yeah. That's Wait. it. So that's like a drop in the bucket. How much money does the uh, who's the CEO of Comcast? I don't even know this fucker's name, but I'm sure he know. can like lose two hundred and fifty dollars in his sleep and not even notice it, right? Yeah. Or she. That's like a lunch bill. Or they. I don't know who the CEO is. Um. Really, you think it's she? I, I'm just trying to be hopeful. <laughs> Let's Google it. Brian Roberts. This fucker, he kind of looks like a minister. He looks like the dad from <laughs> Lizzie McGuire. No, yeah, that guy's does. on strike because he's an actor. Maybe. Maybe he's on strike? Oh, he kind of looks like old Noah Baumbach. I don't even know. Oh, I know who that is. Just kidding. <laughs> okay. Macabike. Squash player. Interesting. Okay. Why are we looking at this? <laughs> we're structureless on this episode, Tyler. We're... Okay, uh, more. What are we doing? What red else? flags. What else? Is it a oh. red flag or a green flag? Um, let's see. Is it a red flag when... Or, or a green flag? Is it a good thing? Is it standing in solidarity? If you go on Twitter and you call out one of your favorite actors that you notice is not on the picket lines. Ooh, this is an interesting question. Um, is that like solidarity or is that something you shouldn't do? Yeah. This is a little bit of a gray area because I feel like your heart's probably in the right place. You want to see people out there in solidarity with their union. You want to see them striking, but people also have the right as to whether they actually want to go out and pick it and strike or not. Um, and there may be some people that don't feel like they're in a position where they can do that or, or they feel safe doing that feel safe doing that yeah exactly so you know i maybe harbor those harbor those feelings to yourself i wouldn't i wouldn't put them out on social media and like call people out for it because that feels a little little strong but yeah 
No, there have been like notable names that people are saying. How come they're not? I there? think it's completely different if if you want to call somebody out for like if there's ever an actor that does something that is scabbing or speaks out against the strike. Like that's completely different. Call those people exactly. out. But just for like an absence of not being there doesn't necessarily mean they don't support or they don't stand in solidarity. Although it would also be nice if folks that either can't go out and picket voice their solidarity in a different way or something like that. You know, I, I don't like to be the the both sides ism, but uh, it's hard sometimes to also feel like if people aren't lending their voice out and they should be like, how do you, mm-hmm. how do you call people out for that? Yeah. yeah and this hard. is also like interesting because it's a very public part of these people's private lives. Yeah. Right. So it's like, Oh, this is like their livelihood and their, uh, like way of life. Right. So we don't want to like shame them for the way they want to support the strike or the way they right. don't want to support the strike. Yeah. Right. So everyone's labor is individual to them. And if it was like, if this was like a coal miner strike or a UPS strike or whatever other kind of strike, like you wouldn't have the media and news like shoving in your face every day of like, these are the people that are on strike. And these are the, all the coal workers that like didn't show up to the picket line today. Like yeah, that would have stayed home. Cause that's not that industry. Right. Like, but because it's Hollywood industry, it's like even more boosted and more publicized. And so it's easier to, sh- to, for us to like notice people that aren't, out there showing their support but also at the end of the day like does that matter to us like what and why would we care if there was like other people in a different industry that weren't doing that like that wouldn't impact us but you know we want to see actors out there being able to show their solidarity and support but like at the end of the day it's their labor it's their union and they get to decide how to support that mm-hmm. let's see here's another one tyler kind of in the same vein uh is it solidarity or scabbing if you I guess it's in the same vein because it's like actors' livelihoods. Um, if you, and you in this scenario, you are Tom Cruise. Um, okay. If you, before the strike happens, but you're like catching wind that it's going to happen, uh-huh. uh, you go to SAG-AFTRA leadership and you say, hey, during the strike that I know is probably going to happen, what if it would still be cool if we could still promote current features that were going to like be happening? Is that solidarity or scabbing? I mean, it's not solidarity. It's not scabbing because the strike hadn't started yet. But it's not really solidarity. This is something though, that actually Tom. happened. Tom yeah. Cruise went to the SAG after and said, Hey, I know a strike's uh... going to happen. I have a movie coming out, and I think it would be really cool if I still got to promote it during the strike. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, though, yeah, it hadn't happened, and. He was Tom just asking probably questions. Does want to make money off of that movie because he probably does have a good contract for that movie, right? So it's not like he, to him, there's no ill will, there's no hard feelings lost. If like, I don't know, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, no, I think he, I don't know, he was looking out for himself, right? And that's what these strikes are all about, right? Looking out for yourself and your fellow actors. So maybe he's looking out for the team behind Mission Impossible: right. Dead Reckoning Part One. That's we'll give him the benefit right, of the doubt right. that way, but. Tom, we know that this movie's great. We saw it. We loved it. We know it's also struggling to fight Barbenheimer right now. But I'm sorry. You got to sit at home and not promote this movie. You did your legwork. You went to Italy. You did the premiere. That's the best we can do. You tried to get this movie to stay in IMAX theaters a little longer, but the IMAX people said we already have a contract with You still have a whole other movie that you're putting out, like, Less than a year from now, so it's be movie? okay. Part two. Oh, that might have been delayed. Well, okay, maybe now. I thought there was a new other Tom Cruise movie that I wasn't aware of. 
Oh, I got excited. I did. I kind of love Tom Cruise movies, guys. Dude, have you seen Vanilla Sky? Yeah. That movie's dope. Um, I feel like it's underrated and underappreciated. If you haven't seen Vanilla Sky, uh, I recommend it. Okay, what? back to the game. Solidarity or scabbing? Okay. Is it solidarity or scabbing if you are lead actors of Oppenheimer, Killian Murphy, and uh, Emily Blunt, and you walk out of your premiere as soon as sag after announces their strike that's hella solidarity fuck yeah uh and i think it's also very beneficial for killian murphy because he seems like the kind of guy that doesn't like to do press (laughs) so he was like any excuse i'm out but no uh the minute they heard about it they were at the premiere of the movie they stood up in the theater before the film started playing and left and christopher nolan was stuck alone there to introduce his movie because the de- uh, the DGA, the Directors Guild, didn't go on strike because they did come to an agreement with the AMPTP, uh, the Producers Guild. So he was there. And on the stage, Nolan did say things like he does support the strike and he showed solidarity for them even though he couldn't walk out with them because he was uh, obligated by his contract to stay and right. introduce the film. Yep. Plus, Oppenheimer, kind of a based movie. It's all about unions for like maybe 20 minutes of this three-hour movie. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's very true. Well, that was kind of fun. Wait, wait, wait. One more, Tyler. Is it solidarity or striking? Oh, two. Uh, That's the same thing. Solidarity. Oh, yeah, sorry. Solidarity or scabbing. Thank you for catching me. Solidarity or scabbing. Yes. (laughs) It is. Is it solidarity or scabbing to... while the strike is going on, a studio approaches you and says, I'll give you a million Woody Woodpecker oh, dollars to keep promoting movies to say that we should all go to the theaters You're a scab. and watch it. You're a scab. If you take the Woody Don't Woodpecker dollars. Money. Don't take their money. No, but they're so red because Woody Woodpecker's a red guy. I need the red back, Tyler. No, red, not a red scent for you. No. Well, I would rather be a poor solidarity person than a rich scab person. Uh, amen to that. Amen to that. Well, we stand with fun. you. Oh, wait. Also, one more. I know I said one more last time, okay. but I thought of this last, last one. one. Okay. Is it solidarity or scabbing if you, and you in this case, are uh, Dwayne Johnson. Oh. And you donate the largest sum of money in a single donation that, like, the fund that helps these actors and these writers while they don't currently get paid to continue living their livelihood. Oh. A seven-figure sum in wow. one donation. Is that solidarity That's how solidarity. Way to go, DJ. Now, is it solidarity or scabbing if you're Vin Diesel and you have historically famous beef with Vin or The Rock and you've said nothing about this and your money's not going to the fund the, yet? If he, if Vin Diesel really wanted to step it up, he should out, out-donate The Rock. Honestly, I'd be there for it. It'd be the funniest thing ever. Do it, Vin Diesel. Go, go eight figures. Fast X did pretty did decent. Fast X, you can you can afford it. It didn't. It, it looks like it did decent, but the budget was so huge. Oh, that's true. That I it, guess I guess the budget. It still yeah. hasn't made its money back, even oh, though it's sure. the third highest grossing movie of the year worldwide. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine making seven hundred million dollars at the box office and, and it's still, still not making money. Your money shit. Back. It's like, fuck, we shouldn't have blown up that dam! I know I... There's gotta be a way to make money off this! Fuck. I just want to put this child in danger on screen. Oh my god. (laughs) 
Okay, well, like we said, we're going to jump into talking about some movies that we've seen recently. Uh, some of these have been ones that we've talked about previously on the podcast before as a segment on preview review. Um, others might not be. Like, we didn't have the chance to talk about Barbie and Oppenheimer, uh, even though that was, like, some of the most anticipated <laughs> films of the year. Yeah, but then uh, the strike happened. To talk about it. So, uh, we've seen all of these movies that we're about to discuss, and we just want to talk a little bit about, about what we thought of them. Um, before we get to Barbenheimer, though, let's jump into some stuff that we did talk about on the podcast before, like Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Ooh, Tom Cruise, back at it again. He's done it again. It was really, really a great time. I love. this I had a blast movie. in the theater It's such this. a fun movie. Uh, it's so cool that, like, this is the seventh movie in the franchise, and it's still freaking incredible. Tom Cruise is still out there running, still out there on motorcycles, jumping out of things, you know, having a blast. But the story is still engaging. And honestly, it's kind of interesting that this movie came out at the time it did because it's all about fighting against AI, yeah. which is another big thing that we haven't talked well, about with the strike yet. Yeah, and I liked it too because this, like, making AI into the villain of this made it have this, like, grander sense that, like, it wasn't, like, one person that you could just go find, kill that dude, and then it solves the whole problem, right? Like, the it helps to build the scale of the film, right? And there are, like, human stand-ins to be able to have some of those like dialogue scenes and things like that, where it's not just like the whole, every antagonist is like, you know, robot enigmatic or like, you know, arbitrary, but it helps because every villain has been like a human so far. And it's just been like, if you can just get to this guy and kill him, then like whatever, that's fine. Or like defuse the bomb that he set or whatever. But the AI element of mission possible never getting part one really, really helped to create kind of like, this sense of like, oh, there's really like no way for us to even get ahead or on top of this thing. Like we're always going to be one step behind and it truly makes it feel like the mission is impossible. Yeah. And even though this is one of those movies that's a part one and we knew it was a part one going in, it still feels like it's a complete story and like yeah. it finishes up what the goal of this story was while setting up for the next chapter yeah. and you're still excited for the next chapter even though you've just seen a complete story you still want to know what happens next with these characters and i think that's the first time that this has actually happened with the mission impossible series where like you kind of have an idea of what the next movie is going to be right before you even have a trailer for the movie so i was really excited to watch this movie i do think that it's not quite as good as Rogue Nation or Fallout, but I still think it's in the top three of Mission Impossible mm -hmm. movies for me. Gotcha. Um, I really, really like Rogue Nation, and I know that's the only one you haven't seen, Tyler. Oh, yeah. Um, so, when you get a chance, there's a really cool movie out there called Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Can't wait. You're going to love it. Sweet. Um, how about Insidious the Red Door? You're not going to love it, Tyler. I didn't like it. I thought it was pretty fun. But, uh, so last time we were talking about this Insidious franchise, you and Austin were telling me, these are just vibe movies, the lore isn't really important. And I was like, but I think the, like, family drama and the lore of these films, like, seem really intriguing to me based on this trailer. So then I went and watched Insidious and Insidious Chapter 2, and I was like, okay, I can kind of see what they're saying. These are kind of vibey movies, at least for, like the first two-thirds of the first Insidious movie. And then we get to go to, like, the supernatural realm called... What is it called? The Further? Mm -hmm. And I was like, fuck. This movie's got crazy lore. It doesn't bother explaining it all. It just happens. That's what I'm like, saying. It's not like there's not lore. They just don't bother telling you anything about it. But so it's I never interesting. But it's not interesting because you didn't learn anything about it. But it's, like... 
uh, what's the word? Intriguing. It's super shallow service level. They literally just do a hoe door in this new one where they say, you have to find the red door and you have to close the door. How did the door get open? What happens if the door doesn't get closed? Like, there's nothing explained about this. Why does this red-faced Darth Maul demon even care about this kid? Like, there's no backs, there's no explanation. It doesn't even matter. No, no, no. It doesn't matter. So that's where the vibes part of it comes in. You went in to Red Door, I think, wanting more lore and wanting more characters. And I came in going, I got that from chapter one and chapter two, and I like how they expanded on it a little bit here. And it's also a good vibes movie. So I think for me, I got like the best of both worlds. But for you, you maybe you were longing for a little more. I wanted to either just like lean into the atmosphere and the scares of it or lean into like explaining and filling in all the gaps between the first two movies and this one and like ex- like bring everything full circle and they didn't do either of those things it re- really wasn't very scary they didn't spend oh, enough time no, i don't think i think scary. like creating like spooky atmosphere like there was like way too many just like funny haha jokes and like one of the scariest things is like this ghost dude like throwing up and it just turned into a joke like they don't do anything that's actually like genuinely like shocking or horrifying, but then it also doesn't do a good job with like this explanation and like this terrible, terrible phone call in the third act of <laughs> Dalton saying, talk to me, little brother, tell me what's going on. I literally did laugh what out loud at that What the hell is happening? It's I don't so know what bad. was going on there. It's so bad. But <clears throat> I don't think this is a bad movie, but we have different opinions and that's totally okay. We can respect each other's opinions and we can both say... I understand that's what you saw in this film, and I'm glad that's the takeaway you had because yeah. that's your truth. Amen. How about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny? I dug this movie. This is probably a movie that's actually bad, but I loved it. I don't think it's bad. <laughs> I think it's like a great fun Indiana Jones There's movie. There's so much happening in that third act that's just like okay, balls um, to the wall insane, I but I fucking loved it. Okay, let's go over our quick thoughts on this movie, then we'll put a... like. I'll give a spoiler warning and then we can talk about the okay. other movie. Uh, quick thoughts. Really fun. The the opening scene, I felt like I was watching another Spielberg Indiana Jones movie. Like, I, th- I was so sold on all that. Sure, like, he looks like a little bit of a video game character with the de-aging and all this stuff. But, like, it's okay. It's still fun. Mads Mikkelsen, great villain. Boyd Holbrook, great villain. Love the addition mm-hmm. of Phoebe Waller-Bridge in there. It was a fun dynamic. It was a little bit of a bummer to see so much of this action translated onto, like, oh, let's do another, like car chase or like thing on wheels because we can't have Harrison Ford actually do like the action stuff anymore. That's part of a bummer. And like, I would have loved for us to have just made another Indiana Jones movie like in the nineties when he like could have done more. Or in the early 2000s. That's okay. It's part of it. It's okay. He was old. There's lots of jokes about him being old. And another cool thing, the scuba diving shit was off the hook. I I loved that sequence. Okay. So this movie is just like, once it gets going, it's just one action sequence to like a little dialogue to another action sequence to a little yeah. dialogue and it doesn't stop it's maybe too long for its own good but you're enjoying you're having fun the whole time yeah i honestly you said boyd holbrook was a good villain i think he was i kind of wanted more from boyd i think maybe somehow i've gotten in my head that like i'm a huge boyd holbrook fan and i was disappointed that he wasn't in this movie that much i think it's because i really liked him in oh Vengeance. you didn't want more him to be more villainous in the role you just wanted more of him in the movie exactly i was like we've never had like, Indiana Jones villains are always, like, kind of, like, also about their own morality and, like, honor, and they, like, live by their code. 
Boyd Holbrook was just like, oh, I want to shoot this fucking teacher, so I'm going to shoot this fucking teacher. Yeah. And I was like, that's insane! I know, I wanted more <laughs> of this guy. I think it would have been cool. Uh, I really do like the additions of Phoebe Waller-Bridge, though, and Mads Mikkelsen. I think whoever that kid that Phoebe Waller-Bridge had with her, I wasn't the oh, biggest yeah, fan whatever. of him. Knock off, short round. Yeah. yeah, he was fine. Um, they tried to do a little too much with that. Yeah. But it's okay. But overall, I thought this was a really fun Indiana Jones movie, and... If you're a fan of, like, the original trilogy of Indiana Jones movies, I don't see any big reason why you wouldn't be a fan of this movie. Yeah. Also, before we do spoiler warning really quick, did you see, did you see the, the tweet or whatever that was, like, broke, like, cheering when you see, like, Indiana Jones, like, grab his fedora and whip or whatever, woke, cheering when you see Indiana Jones travel by map? <laughs> I loved it! He traveled by map, the red line came out, I, I clapped. Yep, yeah, it was so good. Okay, um, oh, wait. Before we do spoilers, I kind of want to talk about my film-going experience with Indiana Jones. Oh, okay. What's happening with that? I told you about this, Tyler. You remember? Okay. I went with my family. and <laughs> Oh, is this the massage? Yes. No! <laughs> to see. Okay. So there, it was a packed theater. It was opening weekend of the movie, and it was basically full, right? But people were still funneling in and taking their time, right? So it was me, and then next to me was my mom, and next to my mom was my sister. So next to my sister was this couple, and they were probably like in their like late forties or early fifties. And the like man was sitting next to my sister, and next to him was his significant other or the woman that he came with to this film. I don't know their relationship. I didn't actually talk to these people. Um, but like as the pre-show starts, like they're kind of all over each other, like not like kissing or anything like that, just like lots of touching, and then the trailer start the woman notices the seat next to her is empty she scoots over a seat puts her foot that is open no shoes whatsoever onto the man's lap and he just starts massaging her foot and they both kind of like like making these like satisfying noises i mean satisfying in the fact that they're receiving satisfaction but not satisfying to my ears um and all while this is happening, the trailers are playing. The man is, like, just noticing things that are on screen. Like, a trailer for Mission Impossible came on. And he just points at the screen and goes, Tom Cruise. Like, yes, good job. <laughs> you are aware. But before the trailers end, luckily, someone comes and they go, Actually, you're sitting in my seat, woman, because she had to move over a seat. So she then had to get a little closer. But she still wrapped her leg around the other man's leg. He couldn't massage it anymore, but he could still caress it throughout the whole movie. So this is just a PSA. Um, don't do that. Fucking don't do that shit. I don't like it. <laughs> I have one more theater-going soapbox. It's not based on like specific incidents, but just because you mentioned it. It's wild to me that we used to have a world where we paid for a movie ticket and didn't know where the fuck we were sitting and we had to just, like, like animals venture into the theater and find a seat. Specifically if you were with a group of, like, God forbid, four or five other people. Terrible. Zero experience. Um, zero start experience. That doesn't fucking happen anymore! You buy a ticket to the movie, you better assigned a seat, fucking sit in that chair! Oh, I have seen so many, this so many before. fucking screenings I've gone to recently where people are coming in and they're literally just moving around the theater because they keep getting chased out of their seat. And I'm like, if you're in here 
and you bought a ticket here, there's a seat number on your ticket. Just go find that chair. How hard can it fucking be? I get it. You know, the movie's five minutes in. You want to move closer to the middle because it's probably, like, not a super full showing. Fine. Whatever. Don't do that shit during the trailers. Don't do that shit before the movie starts and just, like, claim a seat. That's fucked up. Exactly. This happened to us, or not to us personally, but we were noticing this in our Insidious screening. The people in front of us were not in their right seat. So then people came and said, those are our and seats. They didn't even fucking move. And they made the other no, person go yes, find us. But then seat. the people in front of us that were sitting down said, oh, we're only in these seats because the people, and then they pointed not to our row, but the row behind us. They said, we actually had those seats and someone said, those seats. So we're just taking so these annoying. seats. So then the people didn't say, oh, we'll go kick them out of your seats. The people that walked up to him said, oh, don't worry about that. That's we'll go sit somewhere reaction. else. And then it did happen. It did chain reaction. Terrible. They sat down and then other people it's came so to bad. them. And they just found Just buy seats. Sit in your fucking seat. I'm it's sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you didn't buy your ticket soon enough to get the seat that you wanted. I had to sit in the third row from the screen at Oppenheimer because I bought tickets, I thought, in plenty of time. Monday night showing was sold out on Saturday. That's not my fault. I still want to go to the movie. I still sat in my fucking seat. When I walked in that theater five minutes before the trailer started, guess what? Most every other fucking seat was empty. You know what I didn't fucking do? Go sit in the goddamn middle of the theater because I knew somebody was going to have that seat. Oh, since we're on this rant about moviegoers. Okay, sorry. Indiana Jones, spoiler alert, really quick. Oh, we're doing this now? I, we just have to finish this because I feel like we're going to get down the road. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Let's, let's do some more movie rants first and then we'll do some. <laughs> oh, God. We don't have those we're going to forget. We're going to forget. We can talk about it. Okay, so back to Insidious, our Insidious screening. Fucking everybody in that screening, it felt like. I don't know what it is with PG-13 horror, but everyone had their phones out wanting to take oh, a picture of the title not card. this again. So while, like, everyone's just sitting there, like, on Snapchat or some shit, like, ready for the... and. This movie, like, has its title card, like, late into the movie, it feels like. So they, like, constantly are like, oh, is this the time? And they pull it up, and it's like, no, it's not the time. I see your bright-ass screen in my face. And then, when the title card does come up... The fucking flash goes off. The flash went off. And I applaud the gall you had, Tyler. You yelled at the person, well, did you get it? (laughs) Everyone in the theater laughed. A-plus comedy. Thank you. (laughs) But, for real, like, I don't give a fuck... Like, on my Instagram stories, I'm scrolling through these things. I see people post shit like that. Someone the other day posted that they were at the Barbie movie and they posted the Barbie title card. I'm like, cool. I That gives me the same amount of, like, knowledge that you went to Barbie as the fact that, like, you went to the theater and maybe took a picture with the poster. Yeah. Do that shit, right? Get down the letterbox, write a review, and post your star review. That would tell me even more about your experience. I would actually get to hear what you think about the movie. Yeah. But this is just telling me, what, that you're at the theater and that... You're one of those assholes that uses their phone during a movie? Okay. Now, to be fair, it was convenient that Be Real went off at the beginning of our Barbie screening. Veronica did post the Barbie title card as for Be Real for that day. But guess what? Mm-hmm. I knew what the opening sequence of the movie looked like because it was the promotion of the movie where it was like the 2001 parody. Oh, yeah. And then the doll gets thrown up and turns to the Barbie title mm-hmm. card. So guess what? I said, wait, I'll tell you when the title card's coming and you can just really quickly go... And that, mm. it worked flawlessly. Okay. But don't sit there with your phone above your fucking head when you don't even know when the title card's coming. Exactly. Also, Insidious? Why? Well, Insidious has diehard fans. Um, but still, like, I don't know. You're in a theater. Put your phone away. 
we don't have to be on our phone. We can sit in the dark for an hour and a half to three hours and pay attention to something. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Indiana Jones spoiler, spoiler alert. alert. Okay. Um, that <laughs> Archimedes cameo goes crazy though. Okay. I've seen people like that are really pissed. Okay. So if you don't know, the third act of this movie, they time travel. They go back. They in actually time. make it. They the Nazis think that they've succeeded and they've figured out the calculation to like go back to like whatever before Hitler kills himself or whatever and like during World War Two. Why does give Hitler they them pronouns? He w- <laughs> before Hitler kills himself. <laughs> I guess we never know. Well, uh, they didn't have, uh, like, that language back then. So well, maybe Hitler yeah, was. Yeah, we never know. You never know. <laughs> um, and then, uh, whatever. You know, change the course history, not invade Poland or whatever. Well, he wants know. to kill Hitler so he can be the better Hitler. Yeah. That's the bad guy's <laughs> that's, goal. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, Which anyways, is kind of fucking so crazy. So I think they figured it out. But then they go through this thing and they're like, oh, we did it. We're at the beach that we wanted to be on. But they're like, wait a second. This doesn't look like Nazi ships. These look older than that. It's and they travel back Rome. to actual like Greece. Archimedes. Because the device that's the dial that helps them time travel is like created by Archimedes. And so they're like, oh, we actually went back to his timeline. Which, like, that's convenient. But, well, no. Okay. The point of that part is he built that dial because as a signal for help. made it. He was like, yeah. they, we're getting invaded. I want people from the future to come back here and like basically be my deus ex machina and save the day. Yes. But then like the legend was like, you can use it to time travel whenever you want. want. Yeah. But really it only goes here. Yeah. <laughs> um. But anyway, Archimedes is there and Harrison Ford or Indiana Jones is like, I love this man. I want to spend the rest of my life with him. Which, okay. Super fucked up. <laughs> but, and then Phoebe Roller is like, nope. And they take him back to his own timeline. But, I think it's cool. I, like, dig this, like, wacky time travel shenanigans. Honestly, if Indiana Jones can get his fucking beating heart torn out of his chest and then still, like, turn around and save the day, he can time travel to Archimedes. Like, mm-hmm. those aren't, like, crazy different yeah. things. Like, And I feel like people have this, like, insane logic box that they put around the first three Indiana Jones movies and forget that, like, they were doing weird shit, too. You know what I mean? I saw this one take on Twitter, and it was saying something like, if you have an issue with the new Indiana Jones movie and what happens at the end, like Archimedes, the character you meet there, but you don't have any issue with this character and they show like the soldier, like from the crusades that's guarding oh, yes. the Holy Grail, who's like, has eternal youth. And it's like, then you are not understanding what these movies are. Yep. And yeah, no, I think it's totally fun. I think it's a blast. So if you have an issue with like that kind of wacky stuff in your Indiana Jones movie, I don't know I mean, I guess there's no Indiana Jones movie that's for you then. Yeah, for real. <laughs> you know, the closest thing you get to the least wacky Indiana Jones movie, but it Jones definitely movie wasn't something is the that one was like, where God melts people's faces. <laughs> it definitely wasn't what I was expecting into the movie, which is like, I get it. I get it. It's a little whiplashy, but I'm still like, oh, like I'm in. Like, I'm in for it. Indiana you know Jones what I mean? You got to be involved. He also fixes an engine with chewing gum. That's just not happening in real life. No, it just no, happens. No. He said science words, so it was true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Like for when sure. he survived the nuke in a lead-lined refrigerator. Precisely. Precisely. Yeah. Speaking of nuclear testing sites. Ooh. Asteroid, Asteroid City. City. <laughs> not Oppenheimer. You all thought. This is Wes Anderson's Do you want to share your, I'll share my first. Oh, yeah. Go for it. Asteroid City. Did we preview repeat this? I think we did, yes. Okay. I liked it i think it is a movie that i will have to watch more than once to like really truly fully appreciate i think i was so taken aback by like how different it was from what i was expecting because there's like a whole secondary like framing device and 
narrative behind the scenes of this movie that like you don't know about in the trailer and so this is a this is a case where like what i thought i was getting when i went into the movie is not what it ended up being and so i think my brain was like kind of trying to work double time to like catch up to what was being sold to me and so i liked it didn't love it but i think if i continue to like rewatch it and appreciate what wes is doing because i have read a lot of really great five star reviews from people i trust on like letterboxd and stuff like that and i i want to see what they see but i just need to i think be in the right mindset going into the movie to be able to like pull all that out of it if that makes sense yeah that makes sense um i feel like when i came out of asteroid city like i felt like i imagined the way you felt out of coming out of nope okay like if you that makes sense like this movie that's kind of like its own story but it's also kind of a commentary on like the entertainment industry itself mm-hmm. and the like way that everything weaves together with actors and writers and uh like even like the press surrounding a certain mm-hmm. like play or film or something like that so for me on that level i thought it was really well done and i really enjoy this movie like i think it's a really good movie but I do not think this is the movie to introduce someone to Wes Anderson to. This well, is like... it's funny because aesthetically, it feels so much like a culmination of, like, a lot of his style. Mm-hmm. But, like, narratively, it's, like, so different from anything that he's yeah. done. Like, it's not, like, a straightforward, like, little, like, folksy tale, like, Fantastic Mr. Fox or, like, Moonrise Kingdom. Which are great movies like, to watch in your first like, Wes Anderson It's like a philo- philosophical, like, rumination on, like, the nature of his artwork, which is, like so different yeah. and i dug it but i do think like like you could go into this movie and think wes anderson has gone up his own ass and like is just uh what's the word navel gazing you know at his own style yeah but that's not how i feel about this film i think it does have something deeper to say and i think it is interesting like because it goes back and forth between the framing device and the movie inside the movie i guess or the play inside the movie um where like he gets the chance to play with the way he writes characters and the people outside of the framing or like inside of the framing device, like the writer of the play, like gets to talk differently than a character in a Wes Anderson movie might normally Mm -hmm. talk, which I think is cool and interesting. But I think these are not the things like that you notice if you're not like a Wes Anderson fan already. So I think this is the movie Wes Anderson made for people that understand Wes Anderson movies or fans of Wes Anderson movies, not the movie he made for people to come in and become fans of Mm. Wes Anderson. But that's kind of what, like, a lot of the trailers that I saw for this kind of made it seem like it was trying to be this, like, Mm -hmm. cute little Western... Well, it made it look like a Wes Anderson movie set in New Mexico with a train. And it's very much not that. Um, But, so, it's a movie that I liked, didn't love, but I want to revisit, and I think I would gain more and appreciate more in the future. That's my little review for it. Yeah. Um, you want to go Barbenheimer next? Barbenheimer. Let's do it. So we both Barbenheimered, but we didn't go well, do we the double feature. Yeah, we didn't do a same day Barbenheimer. We didn't do a true Barbenheimer. The full Barbenheimer. But we both saw both of these movies within like the opening weekend, or you saw one on Monday, right? So like within the opening weekend. I include Monday in the opening weekend because I go to movies every Monday now, so Monday counts. Um, there you go. But... We did it. Se- we did it separately, and we did it differently. Mm-hmm. I went Oppenheimer, Barbie. You went Barbie Oppenheimer. That's true. So, Tyler, just before we get into these movies, how do you feel about the experience of like 
these two movies coming out in the same weekend, things like that. Like yeah. the nature of the theaters, like how they, were things? I think the experience is great. Um, theaters have been packed, crowded. I don't like love that part, but it's very cool that these movies are making money. Both Oppenheimer and Barbie are having fantastic weekends box office wise. And um, I think it's really cool that like this marketing kind of thing that just evolved off of social media, although there was probably enough like marketing money actually put behind it to promote this of like Barbenheimer double feature, go see both movies. Like it's cool that it worked and like that these two movies that are very different from one another, but also both like similar in a way that they're like these auteur filmmakers trying to make something that like speaks, (laughs) takes from history to speak to the nature of the world around us today, even though it does those in like very different ways um, that it reaches their audience. And I think it's cool that these adult, there are adults that are interested in both of these films. Um, I know folks that have seen both that have loved both of them. I love, I love both of them. And um, yeah, just really, yeah. really neat. It's cool to see people dressing up and going to the theaters. Like they're cosplaying Barbie. I haven't Barbie. seen enough Oppenheimer costumes. Well, no, but more for Barbie. So I guess, but like, definitely for Barbie, which is like crazy. You don't think the like, random Greta Gerwig movie that comes out in the middle of the summer is going to be the movie that people dress up and like they're sold out theaters for when her previous movie was like little women. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's cool. Like the last time I saw theaters, this packed, I think was Avengers Endgame, And AMC recently said that the Saturday of Barbenheimer weekend was the second most concessions they've ever sold in the history of the company. Second only to Avengers Endgame opening day. And we've noticed that too in the movie theaters. They're running out of straws. They're running out of straws. We, uh, like, they've extended their lobby area. Like, where they take your tickets, where they scan your tickets, is outside of the theater now. Mm -hmm. To make room for the concession lines. Even the A-list line that we're in that is supposed to be shorter. So long. Was still shorter, but it went from the concessions all the way back to the front door of the theater and then wrapped around a little bit. But we still made it to uh, our movie in time. Don't worry, don't worry. But I think it's really cool. This is, like, people are back going to the theaters that are excited about this stuff. This is something that studios should be taking note of and going, hey, maybe if we paid our uh, writers and our actors more, then we would be able to continue having this sort of business in the theaters and being able to be profitable. When, every, when these movies win, we all win. So I think it's cool in the sense that these movies are bringing so many people out to the theaters. And what sort of looked like counter-programming, like a Barbie versus Oppenheimer when we first heard about these movies coming out on the same date, has turned into people being like, no, it's not a, like a fight. It's yeah. a join it's together. To elevate both of them. Let's go sure. and make a fun double feature out of these two movies that yeah. are very different, but kind of similar you know and this all started there is a history lesson here tyler not we're not going back to oppenheimer time we're going back to covid time oh. you remember these dark times uh christopher nolan made a movie called tenant for a studio called warner brothers he was buddy buddy with warner brothers he loved warner brothers all his movies came out with warner brothers but then warner brothers said you know what we should do in 2021 we should put all our movies on a streaming service on the same day that they're released into the theaters. And Christopher Nolan said, you fucking animals. 
there's no way that's going to be helpful for anybody. The movie, and he was right, the movies didn't make as much money at the box office, and now we know that the writers and the actors probably didn't get as much money because they were available on streaming on the same day. So Nolan said, I'm going to take my next movie, and I'm going to take it to a different studio. And what did he do? He made Oppenheimer with Universal Studios, and they said okay, and then he put his movie, he put his flag in the stand and said, this is when the movie's coming out. I've released plenty of other movies on this exact same date in July, and I've made money here. And what did Warner Brothers do? They said, hmm, how can we spite Nolan, our new enemy? I know. We'll, we'll put a big tentpole blockbuster called Barbie right there, and it'll destroy his Oppenheimer. <laughs> but <coughs> little did Warner Brothers know that it would elevate both the films, and Barbie will do great, and Oppenheimer will do great, and we can all be happy together. Amen. What a lesson for our times. Exactly. Do you want to actually talk about these movies now? Barbie and Oppenheimer? <laughs> I loved Barbie most. You loved Oppenheimer most. But I liked them both. Yes, I agree. Barbie, great, fun time, colorful, funny. Ryan Gosling is so goddamn good in this movie. He's the best part of the Sublime! movie. Sublime! I love his, what's his house called? The Casa Mojo Dojo, Dojo. House. Mojo Dojo Casa House, yeah. Yes. Um, I want Margot Robbie also is so very good and emotionally resonant as the core of this film. I also cried like three times because there's so much to be said about how Barbie has shaped and influenced American womanhood and how we understand what it is to be a daughter and a mother. And even for me as a man, I was like, this is so, so fucking special. And I loved it. It was so great. Oppenheimer, a little bit of a rough first act. There's a lot going on, a lot being thrown at you. Incredible visual sequences throughout the entire movie. And then the entire, like, culmination of the ethical and moral weight of what has been done and the impact on American history. And I kind of sat there slack-jawed for the second and third act, just like culminating and ruminating on like how this has impacted American politics and history and global politics and history. Um, so that was pretty fucked up. I agree with you. All your points. Uh, I didn't cry in Barbie though, but I did really appreciate Barbie. I do think there are, are some parts of the Barbie movie that detract from it or that like slow the pace down things that we could have trimmed and made a much better movie. Namely anything that has to do with like Will Ferrell. I also think, thinking more about this movie that like they started a subplot about America Ferreira and her daughter that they tried to carry through, but kind of gets lost in the weeds yeah, throughout the end of the movie. But overall, I think it is a very good movie. I think it has an important message for like anybody to like appreciate. But I do think that if you're one of these people out there that says, or that it, like even thinks that this movie is something that like a, tax men or villainizes all men Boo. like bullshit whatever but if you like hear those things and think oh like maybe i might believe that if i watch this movie this movie is not for you just don't watch it if it comes on tv sometime you might want to catch it then you don't need to go to the theater to watch this movie if you think you're gonna hate it like just stay home not everything has to be made for you yeah. and that's the point um i've also seen beyond like the politicization of this film people are also accusing this of just being like another thing of like oh let's take like x ip or like x product or like x pop culture thing and like make movie and it'll be good and people will see it and like okay that is a little bit of a trend and yes that may be kind of true for barbie but like this is not just a movie like about barbie like greta gerwig has truly like used barbie as a lens through which we get to like reflect on the nature of womanhood and like 
our modern society, but and also like the role that Barbie has played throughout our history as a country. Like, it's not just like oh, fun, silly, goofy Barbie movie. Like, there is a world where it's just this like goofy comedy set in Barbie Land, and like which it is a it, it would have been funny, but it it also like transcends and becomes more than that. So I I think there is like this sort of like both and within this movie where like we get to do like oh it's so silly that they're using these little like goofy dollhouse props but also like let's also think about like what would barbie's existential crisis look like about like her purpose Mm -hmm. and it's okay that this movie gets to like exist within like these two different like styles of filmmaking yeah and now my thoughts on oppenheimer i thought this was a fabulous movie. Uh, we both had the opportunity to see it on a actual film print in 70 millimeter film, which I don't know, just stunning resolution, deep colors, like deep, you could see more depth. I feel like with the mm-hmm. 70 millimeter print, but the performances in Oppenheimer are stand out as well. So like good. there's so many people that you might not even know are in this movie that give like a killer performance. Maybe they're only in one scene. Like Casey Affleck is only in one scene yeah. of this movie. that fucking crushes it. Like he plays this menacing character and I, you know, I almost shit my pants. This guy's so scary, but no. Um, but it, this movie does do the thing that Nolan likes to do where it's like building, building, building. And then the climax happens, but then actually wait, that's not the climax of the movie. There's actually a second secret movie after the climax. And I was just as involved in the second secret movie that had to do about like Senate confirmation hearings or what cabinet confirmation yeah. hearings, you know? I thought that was like so interesting. And it's like, oh wow, like now we're shifting focus and seeing like the whole world through this other lens and like, oh, that's why we were talking so much about like unions and like like left-leaning politics and what communist ideals in the beginning of the movie because it was setting up for the second story that Nolan was going to tell at the end, which I didn't know going into the movie and which crazy to me, like it feels like the trailers didn't really sell that aspect of the movie, but I haven't heard anybody complaining about the movie coming out and saying like, I hate the part where it's very obvious that it was like Christopher Nolan actually like reading about Oppenheimer's life and saying like, I want to make a movie about who this man was and his impact Beyond just, like, I want to make a movie about the creation of that atomic bomb, right? Mm-hmm. I am also eternally grateful to Robert Pattinson. I don't know. Have you heard this story? Oh, Taylor? he turned down the role? No. While they were filming Tenet, Robert Pattinson was reading American Prometheus, the Oppenheimer oh, book. Oh, interesting. And he shows, hey, Chris. Hey, Chris Nolan. You read this thing? I think you could make a really good movie about this guy. Wow. So. Who knew? Mm-hmm. Wow. So something did come out of uh, Christopher's time at Warner Brothers. Well, uh, we saw another movie, Tyler. And speaking of movies that we're seeing not on the weekend, we saw this one on a Wednesday night. Crazy. I know. Wild times. But it was because it was an early access screening. AMC does these things every once in a while where they're like, hey, this movie comes out this weekend, but we're just going to show it randomly in the middle of the week. day before. Right? So that was cool. We went to see the movie. And then it was cool because we walked out of the theater and some like, representative from i don't know some marketing pr firm was like what do you think of the movie with a clipboard mm. and it was cool because i recognized her from when i saw the flash movie and mm. she had the same tote bag what did you tell her about the flash she didn't ask me about the flash oh. she she asked other people but what did we see and what did we tell her about this movie well we saw that she had a tote bag oh. for book club the next chapter which I think is really fun that that's the tote bag she carries around with her even though nobody saw that movie. And I don't think anyone is excited about Book Club the next chapter. But we didn't see Book Club the next chapter, Tyler. We saw 
Talk to me. The new spooky movie from A24. Mm-hmm. It's about this magic demon hand where you grab it and you say, talk to me. And then the ghosts come and they go, let me in. And you go, okay, I'll let you in. And then you get possessed by a ghost. And at first it's all fun and games. Because you're a teenager in Australia and you're living the life, smoking cigarettes and drinking alcohol. But then... But wait, but then you're worse. you're filming on Snapchat. But what's happening? It's it's horror. Spoilers, I guess, happens. Horror spoilers happen. We're talking really loosely about this film, but I don't know why. This movie was fucking incredible. Yeah. When I tell you that this is... Literally my number one movie that I've seen this year. I mean it. It was actually I really good. Loved it, and I mean anybody that listens to the podcast knows that I love horror movies and um, all different kinds of horror movies. And like, Scream Five is also or Scream Six is also a really good horror movie that came out this year. But it like doesn't hold a candle to this style of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. That like the direction is so fucking good. The performances are so fucking good. The dialogue is really fucking good. Like everything about this movie is just so genuinely real and grounded despite it also being about this like very supernatural paranormal thing that's like i've never experienced this seance on snapchat but these characters sure seem like they do and they make it so believable um it feels like a lot of the other like grounded elevated horror movies i've had the chance to watch and like reminded me of watching movies like hereditary for the first time and like that full body experience that you get of just like being sucked into what these characters are experiencing and like the moments of horror and the violence are so visceral, but also then there will be this scene where it's just like this outpouring of like loneliness or hurt or pain or trauma or whatever these characters are going through. And it's a such a thorough film because it's not just all about the blood and violence, but it's not just all about the emotional impact. It's like, does the full cycle and it's just so truly incredible. I loved it. Yeah. And another thing I appreciate about this film is that it, uses the gore sparingly it knows that it is an effective tool to have gore in a movie and the first time like something really terrifying or gruesome happens like it's a shock like you're already kind of like in this like kind of like ooh, this is like like unsettling unsettling yeah. yeah like my skin's crawling a little bit i don't like this uh but then like it makes major turn and gore and violence happens and like you're on the edge of your seat like you want to look away because it's so horrific horrifying but also you're at a movie so you have to watch the screen the entire time that's the rules of the movies um so i don't know this movie just captivates you the whole time i could feel my pulse and like rising and the adrenaline in my body like levels rising as well mm-hmm. as I was watching this movie. Ryan got so invested he yelled at somebody for being on their phone. I did. So right after this most horrifying thing happens in the movie, like there's a beat and like all the characters are kind of reflecting on like what the fuck just happened. And like we're I, we as the audience members are also feeling that. And for okay, to preface the story, T- Tyler and I are in this movie theater with our friends Lexi and Jose, who are previous guests of the podcast, friends of the podcast. Um, Friend of the show. Friend of the show, show. yes, yes. Uh, We were sitting in the second to last row of the theater. I saw somebody in the second to first row of the theater get their phone out and start texting. And without even thinking, I just say, Yo, you really texting right now? Of all times. You know, and then I saw them shamefully put their phone away. And... I had a moment of clarity saying, wow, I just yelled at somebody, but also a moment of pride saying, yes, put that phone away, you plebeian film watcher. You don't know art when you see it. Yeah. 
And I feel like this is a movie that could just be, like, people hear about it and they're like, oh, I'll go to this, like, spooky movie or whatever. And, like, maybe not as many people will get out of it, like, what I got out of it. But, to me, as somebody that I like to say is, like, an avid horror fan and I can appreciate good horror movies, um, it's a really, really good one. And I'm a big fan. And I think this premise in the hands of like different filmmakers could be a completely different movie. Right, 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 yeah. Like the idea of like teenagers messing around and like having a seance, that's been done. That's like yeah. Ouija, right? There's like been schlock horror movies like that yeah. that are not Better good. Enough. I think, and that's truly, I think what's special about this is it takes a premise that feels so mundane banal. Uh-huh. and not even, not in the sense of like, a teenager being possessed is not like a banal thing. Yeah, but happen. in the horror but like franchise in the, world. Within the industry, exactly. But it elevates it to a scale that just feels like completely, completely different levels. So good. Yeah. And there's multiple ways to interpret this movie. You can think about this movie in different ways and get, you can talk to different people and they can have different opinions on what actually happened in the movie. And I think that's like what good art does. It leaves yep. things up to interpretation. Not always, but it's a way to spark a conversation that carries on after the movie. Like, when we left the theater, we all stopped, all four of us, me, you, Lexi, and Jose, in the parking lot, and we talked about what we thought happened and, like, why things we thought happened. And we all kind of had different interpretations of the movie and could understand where the other people were coming from in their interpretation of the movie, not saying that one was right or one was wrong. But, like, I don't remember the last time I went to a movie and, like, we didn't all just say, okay, that was fun, thanks. Uh, like, yeah. give a quick side hug and get him back in the car and leave. And then, like, maybe text about it or something like that with just you. Because, you know, I know, like, other people aren't going to want to have a more in-depth conversation about it. Or if they do, they'll just listen to my thoughts on Preview Review, obviously. Right, for sure. Because that's what all our friends do if they want to hear our in-depth thoughts yeah, on no movies. no one ever asks me anything. They no, just no. listen to the podcast. Yeah, or they read my letterbox one-sentence reviews. You, you truly went above and beyond on this review. What did I say? Australian oh. horror hits different. It does! <laughs> Based off a sample size of one. I, I 100% of Australian horror movies I've seen. <laughs> fucking insane, dude. So good, so good. Okay, the last movie experience, and this truly was an experience. This isn't just talking about the movie itself that we it's saw. It's not a new release. We have to say that we did go to a theater to see a screening of The Room, the infamous comedy the disaster artist was made about it, directed and starring Tom, directed by and starring Tommy Wiseau, and written by. Don't forget the writers, and written by Tommy Wiseau, and produced by Tommy Wiseau. We don't like the producers. We like the writers and the actors. All of them. Tommy is around. He encompasses all spheres. Yes. Do you think Tommy's a member of SAG after? I don't think he is, and I don't think he's a member of WGA either. Mm. I think he's doing things on his own out so there. So that's the only kind of movies we're going to get. Anyways, if you haven't heard of The Room, uh, you should Google it or something. There was a, another movie that is a like high-quality movie that was made about the making of this movie because it's so fucking bad. It's just really, really a terribly written, terribly performed, nonsensical plot movie um, but we went to a screening of it and it is like a cult favorite. Um, it's a little bit Rocky Horror-esque where people have shit that they like bring to throw at the screen and like shout back at the, th- at the screen during the movie. Um, but wait, we Tyler. This, and Tommy Wiseau was there. He was there. He did a and a We went, you bought a shirt. I bought it's a also Blu-ray. It's like the number one like tweet on our preview review account right now because Tommy Wiseau himself retweeted it. 
that tweet has like that picture has ninety something likes on Twitter, which is the the most we've ever done on social. It's media. our widest reach, but unfortunately, none of those people that liked it went, then went and hit Follow the follow us. button. So um, we gotta just keep going. We shade at you. Him yeah, we just tweet. gotta make Tommy Wiseau retweet it. We're gonna go to a big shark screening next time. Oh my gosh! Um, I don't know if I can do big shark. It looks so bad. But yeah, but we met Tommy Wiseau. We took a photo with him. You bought a T-shirt. I bought a Blu-ray. And then he did a and a in the theater. And just listening to this man speak is like, no wonder the movie he's still he makes, as enigmatic like as this. ever. It's, his brain just seems like all the wires are crisscrossed. Like, he just has a little ant in there, like, moving shit around randomly. And, like, his thoughts never, like, come full circle. I would never want to, like, hang out with this man socially, but I no. would want to be, like, a fly on the wall in the day of, like, Tommy Wiseau. What does this man do daily? Like, how are the conversations he have? Like, I don't want to be perceived by him while I'm stalking him. Oh, I wonder his relationships, like, with people that actually do have to be with him all day. Like, his, like, friends and his, like, business partners. Mm-hmm. But, like, he gave the weirdest answers to these questions that didn't really make sense, but they were also, like, comedical. Like, I don't know. Like but I don't know if he, I don't know if he's being funny intentionally or if he's just so weird that anything he says seems funny to us. But then we all laughed and he wasn't upset that we were laughing. Right, right, right. So maybe he's just used to people laughing at him now. I don't know. But anyway, it was like one of the most insane movie going experiences of our lives. I, I laughed so fucking hard at this movie. Like, and I've seen it before, but the experiences of being in it in a room with like multiple people that have obviously room, seen it more than like seven so times. Well. Like, and then just some of these moments that you forget about even when you've seen it before. Like the grandma just dropping like, I definitely have breast cancer. Or the guy coming back for his underwear. I forgot those characters even existed. Yeah. These random characters that show up to like hook up on Tommy's couch. But like, I don't know. There's something about this movie. It brought us together as it's a like film a community. And we just enjoyed our time. Even though it's probably the worst movie I've ever seen. I think I had the best time at the movies ever, <laughs> which like, is so strange. And the community behind this movie, people literally dressed up in suits and played a game of catch football in the middle of our showing, and we cheered for that shit. That was hype it's as true. fuck. The, these are the types of showings, and I think this is the problem, right? When we go back to all of these rants that we've had now about, like, oh, don't use your phone in the theater... You sit in your fucking seat that you're assigned. You know, be on your best behavior. Don't massage your wife's feet in the theater. No, fuck that. <laughs> All of these are actually probably true. But on the other side, I do think there needs to be more screenings like this where people can go and they can let loose and they can be watching a movie in the theater, but they don't have to be on their best behavior all they the time. They can yell at the screen. They can shout shit at the screen. I literally shouted, because you're a woman, at the screen. A misogynistic as fuck. Line. But, but, but it's, iron, it's ironic. It's ironic. I promise. It's okay. Don't I cancel promise. Tyler. I'm not doing a patriarchy like in Barbie. <gasps> um, and people fucking laughed at it. Like, okay. and that's the thing. It's like people need to be able to go and let loose and have shit like this. And so I love being able to see talk to me, but I also love being able to see the room in theaters. And movies are just great in general. And all of these things can be true. Yeah, I think we had a blast. I really enjoyed, like. There used to be things like this. Before COVID shut down, there used to be, like, especially for the movie Cats. I don't know if you know this about Cats, but they hosted rowdy screenings of Cats. Because that movie was so Bring bad. Bring back rowdy screenings. Like, people would buy tickets just to if go... If I could see a rowdy screening of Barbie, that shit would be over. Oh my that god. That would be sublime! I would love rowdy... I don't think I need a rowdy screening of every movie. No. But there are certain movies that I would just love to go, like... 
Barbie is a perfect example. Let's get up and dance during Barbie when they all do their synchronized dance. Let's get up and, you know, pretend we're like on our little snowmobiles when they're in the snowmobile skiing. We'll all switch outfits. We'll put on the cowboy hat. We'll put on the snowsuit. We'll put on the beach clothes. Yep. It'll be a blast. And that could be really fun. Bring back rowdy screenings. I think it would be a lot of fun because sometimes you just need to yell at a movie screen. But I agree we need a time and place for that. We can't just say... Yeah, just go to the movie, be on your phone, yell at the screen, do whatever the fuck you want. No. Be a respectful moviegoer, and no... Unless Tommy Wiseau's in the building. Yeah. Well... And you're watching his movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Not if you're, like, down the hall watching something else. Uh, Honestly, I felt bad. It was probably a good thing they had us in the back of the theater. I don't even know if they put anything else near there. also, our showing started at, like, 11 p.m. Any other movie on either side of us, you would have been able to hear about all of us losing our shit. Like, imagine trying to watch, like, whatever, Asteroid City, and you just hear it next door. Because you're a woman! Woo! Go, go, go! Fire! Water! (laughs) Meanwhile, in San Francisco, <laughs> so many random things that this community has decided that we need to shout at the <laughs> I just loved it, and I thought it was a blast. I love movies. I love movie theaters. I wish the writers and actors got paid more. Well, this has been such an interesting episode of Preview Review, Ryan. Thank I you thought it was a blast. Here. We should do more episodes like this. Unhinged episodes? Unhinged episodes. Yeah. Honestly, I feel like anytime we bring Ian onto the podcast, it gets kind of unhinged. So That's just you two. I get unhinged. I try to manage my expectations. That's the secret of the Ian episodes. Me and Ian secretly try to make Tyler go crazy as he tries to control <laughs> crazy. us. Crazy? I was crazy once. <laughs> what happened? Did you put you in a room? Yeah, a room with rats. <laughs> well, we're going to put you in a room with movies. And you're going to watch movies. Okay, sounds like fun. I'm in. And I'm going to be there too. And we're going to share a popcorn. Let's do it. What do you want to watch? Um. Oh, let's go see the new Haunted Mansion movie. Oh, okay. I thought we were going to watch something here. No, we have to go to the theaters. Because who knows how much money the writers and the actors get when we watch it on also streaming. seems like it would be a fun one to do a rowdy screening of. We should just turn it into... A, we should get up before the movie and say, Listen, everybody, <laughs> we're going to let loose during this one. <laughs> Boy, but we have to ask, respectfully, any objections? And if someone... <laughs> if only one person objects, we respect them and we sit quietly and we watch the movie and chomp on our popcorn. Absolutely. I mean, you probably don't have to worry about that because we'll probably be the only two people in the theater. So, that's okay. Well, it's not tracking um but this has been preview review if you like what you hear go ahead and rate and review us on any of the podcast catchers of your choice it's easy you can do it right on your phone that you're listening to us on now just turn it over and hit five stars yeah you can also find ryan and i on social media especially on letterboxd if you want to see more about what movies we're watching and what we think about them and uh thanks again for listening we'll be back with another episode that may or may not be similar to this one shortly i think it'll be a more normal episode but who knows uh you can follow us on twitter instagram threads uh where else are we i think that's it all at preview review um yeah and honestly rate and review us i think it might be the best way that we can get into the recommended for like apple podcast or some shit like that is if we get a bunch of five star reviews what what needs to happen is during the strike we need to get enough people to rate review and share us that we actually do get famous and then the producers do come to us and ask us to promote shit while the writers are on strike, and then we can feel like the moral high point of being like, no, we're not going to do that. Yeah, but then if an actor or a writer comes to us and says, I want to promote my movie on your podcast, we'll we'll say, say, yes. yeah, come on over, Tom Cruise. You can be on Preview Review, but not during the strike. If we had Tom Cruise on this, I don't think you'd be able to get any words out. 
I don't know, man. Next next episode, I'll just pretend to be Tom Cruise the whole time. Okay. And then you can pre- see we'll what it be like. Okay, we'll practice. Okay. I, I better not say any shit about Scientology. <laughs> only, only questions about Scientology. Question one. How are your thetans today, Tom? Teach me about Xenu. Okay, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.